Welcome to Reconciled 521-FBC Podcast, Facebook, Livestream, YouTube channel, but also wheresoever you are watching us from whatever platform that you found us in. You are with me, your brother in Christ and your host, Gideon Impeni. And today we continue with our discussion around reformation and revival in the church. And as we speak about the spiritual genuine revival in the church, this is the natural result of the meeting and the carrying out of um, what the Lord has laid out, the definite conditions that have been laid out for us in the Word of God. This is a sovereign work of God. Therefore, it is imperative and it is important that the Word of God become front and fundamental and the basis and the foundation that everything that we are going to be speaking about must be based on the Word of God. We continue with our uh, our discussion as well around the Ezra 710 movements as we find them in the continent of Africa. And today we have a story that has uh, been a blessing to my heart, but also a story that is so uh, close here in the West Rand, here in South Africa. We will look at the South African story of the Ezra movement as we focus on the Shepherds Seminary with Pastor Dr. Tim Cantrell as the president of that institution. Let's hear their story as to why they have instituted that, uh, uh, that, 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 that institution, why they have set up that um, ministry that they will be able to come alongside local churches to equip the men of God for the work of ministry that is vital and fundamental when it comes to reformation and revival. So let's take some few minutes and we listen to this story, this wonderful story from the Shepherds Seminary. We are in dire times spiritually where there is as Amos prophesied, a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. I think what's alarming is to see more and more churches looking to the culture to define themselves. The pastor wants to be an entertainer. Uh, the pastor wants to get the pulpit and talk about something that's, you know, that's relevant for the day and age. Toza said, were we able to know a leader's theological thoughts, we might be able to accurately predict the future of the church. We're going to live out our beliefs. So until we believe and think biblically, we're not going to live biblically. What that comes down to is better theology, a clearer, better view of God, which comes from a more accurate handling of God's Word. It's a great privilege. Uh, I cannot think of anything better than equipping men to, uh, to shepherd the, the Church of Jesus Christ. We want the best of the academy and we want the best of the local church in one. Seminaries don't produce pastors, churches produce pastors. The seminary helps the local church produce pastors. And that's the very emphasis of Shepherd Seminary, is to teach men uh, to become shepherds of, of God's flock. And I believe Shepherd Seminary is making a great attempt at synthesizing those two. Uh, as goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. 
uh, as goes the pulpit, so go the marriages, the families, and the churches that uh, make up that nation. But every pastor needs to be competent in his theology. He needs to understand how the truths are connected, the broad network of the whole counsel of God, because when he knows that and knows it well, he will be a better evangelist, a better discipler, a better counselor, a better preacher, and a better pastor. That is a wonderful story there, as we have seen from the Shepherd Seminary. If you're around Johannesburg, but also if you're around Gauteng or wherever you are, and you desire to know more, you can visit their website, and you are able to see many details as to what this wonderful uh, institution is all about. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you are working and you desire to spend some time devoting yourself to the Word of God, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be an elder in your church. If you love the Word of God and you want to understand it, then here's the opportunity for you that you can join it. Because as we have been looking at this particular topic of reformation and revival, what you see is that the first requisite uh, for the working in our individual hearts and in our communities of the Holy Spirit is that we, there has to be a wholehearted and a sincere uh, desire within us that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives, that we wholeheartedly, we assume the attitude of, of obedience towards God and towards His Word. That's a reality that we need. That's just one requirement, one fundamental prerequisite if we desire to see transformation, if we desire to see a rebuilding of some kind in our lives. There has to be an individual, but also a corporate decision that has to be taken. As such, then we find ourselves once again in the book of Nehemiah. And we are going to see today as Nehemiah goes back and he, his desires to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you remember that last week we focused on Nehemiah and as he, he comes to this particular city, as he calls his people to this particular task, Nehemiah first and foremost, what we find is that he had to go first and inspect the walls. He came in the city and he, he, he went around, we see that in chapter 2, he went to inspect the walls from verse 9, we are told that he went about the city he came to the governors of the province of beyond the river and he gave, as they, they gave him the, the letters. The king gave them letters to go and to be able to inspect the city. He gets the information. Then we see the second thing, there is intercession that we find in chapter 1. That information is passed on to him. The second thing, intercession. He intercedes. He stands on the gap on behalf of his people. But he does not stop there. This man has an intention. He displays that he has an intent. He has displayed great concern for this city. He is not happy to hear as to the state in which the nation of Israel is in at this particular time. And I'm going to come to, 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 to the vital role and to the importance as to why are these wars important? Why is Nehemiah so, so it, it may seem as though he's obsessed about this particular issue of rebuilding the walls. We see in chapter 1 that he, he expressed this great concern, but then he comes to the city, he is given authority, then he goes around to investigate before he actually starts the actual work of rebuilding. But as he goes about to inspect the status of the city, 
as he goes about in the night and he went about, he said, I went up in the night by the valley and he spake the wall. Verse 15 tells us, and I turned back and I entered the valley gate and I, so I returned. And the officials did not know that I was there and I had gone down and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests and the nobles and the officials. But what does he see? He says, so I went out, verse 11 tells us, I went out and I was there three days and I rose in the night and a few men with me and I, 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 and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I, I, I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate and the dragon spring and to the drag, to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. That is the state in which this, this, the walls of Jerusalem were. As he goes about and he inspects the city, as he goes about and he inspects the walls of Jerusalem and he finds out that the walls are broken they are not in a good state that he would in, he would expect them to be and his heart is broken and he sees here and he comes in verse, verse 17 then i said to them you see the trouble we are in how jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt then he invites his people. He, he goes on for inspection. Then he, the second thing we see, there's an invitation. He, he does this. The inspection is done in such a way that he does it so secretly, if you want to call it. He does it in a manner, in a way that nobody else knows as to what the Lord had laid in his heart. But yet, in times such as this, he realizes to say that this task cannot be accomplished in and about myself. Therefore, he makes this invitation. He calls forth the people of God and he asks them to come and to rebuild these walls. You see, brothers and sisters, as you look at this, as he, he, he inspects, there's this inspection and he realizes the, 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 the predicament that the people of God are in. They were in great trouble. He says that. Now, you may wonder to say, how significant are these wars? And why must we, in the New Testament context, in the 21st century, what has these wars to do with us, God's people? You see, the book of Nehemiah falls into div divisions. As you see it here, there's the reconstruction first. And we are going to see later on that the Nehemiah will go on to reinstruction. And the theme of this book is that God fulfills our need for security. God fulfills our need for protection and strength. Ray Steadman would say this. A wall is a very symbol, is a very symbol, symbolic structure. It is more than just a barrier of, of stone and mortar. As you walk around the cities, as you walk around the suburbs, even the villages, it is very, it is very clear. As you, as you move in the villages, you see in the villages where people would have uh, a fence laid on uh, in their maize field or in their, in their crops. Uh, they, they, will, they will set a fence around their crops. Why? They are protecting their crops that their crops will not be damaged by animals. That's what we see in the city, in the city life. You walk any other city, in any other suburb, in any other township, you find people have said wars. Others, yes, have said wars in order for them not to be in touch with their neighbors. But at core, wars are set in place as a symbol of security. But in these ancient times, a war was actually a statement. 
The walls of the city, for example, the walls of the city of Jericho, they symbolize the pride, the arrogance of, their godly, of this godless city. And that is one reason why God chose to put them down with nothing else but the Israelites' faith. By his own invisible power and the people's de deafening shout. And as such then, he wanted to show that the arrogance of Jericho was of no match for the humility of God's people. And that is exactly what you see here. That when God's people align themselves with, uh, with this limitless power of God himself. And as they walked around, as they moved around the city seven times. And uh, this, the walls of the city were broken down. So then what you find in Nehemiah is that the rebuilding of these walls of Jerusalem symbolizes an act all believers should undertake. That God calls each of us to rebuild the walls of our lives. What does that mean? Jerusalem is a symbol of the city of God. Jerusalem is a symbol of God's dwelling place and the center of life for the world. In the New Testament, we see that God's ultimate, ultimate dwelling place is in us. We are the temples of God. God's people are his dwelling place. Therefore, what we see is when we rebuild the walls of our lives as individuals, we reestablish the protection, the strength of God in our lives. We all have made people whose defenses have crumbled away. Or we may be there, we are Christians, just like the Jews were, people of God. But yet, there was at this particular time, as Nehemiah would tell you, they were in ruins. And as such, Nehemiah would say and would lament with a passion. And as he inspects the walls, and he, after inspection, he invites God's people. And this invitation goes to you. Why? You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer delusion. And I told them of the hand of God that has been upon me. He says to them in verse 17, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. We must rise up. And with the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and with the Holy Spirit enabling us, with the grace of God in us, then we need to submit ourselves. That God in his grace would, would reach out to us, even if you find yourself that everything in your life seems like it's crumbled down. All the defenses in your life seems like they are no longer in check. It seems like all the defenses in your life, they have crumbled down. As you've drifted maybe along, into the captivity of alcohol. Or maybe you've gone into sin and sexual addictions. Maybe you've gone into drugs. And maybe you've gone into a life that is prayerless. You've gone into a life that is not self-controlled at all. Everything in your life is just loose. Enemies will come, plunder in and go. Sin will come, plunder in and go. And this is exactly, I want you to, to, to have that picture in mind. There's that symbolic nature that this was would actually depict. And what God will do in his grace, he'll bring that person out of captivity and he'll work with that person to rebuild the defenses and strength that is needed to resist every temptation that this kind of a person, this kind of a Christian needs. 
So in the rebuilding mission, this project and this act of revival and reformation, if we want to talk about revival and if we want to talk about reformation in Africa, it actually has to begin where we are. It has to begin with you and me in our own lives. You know, brothers and sisters, we cannot talk about revival if we have not yet submitted ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a warning that Brian Edwards would warn us concerning revival. He says, and I quote, Let no one start to pray for revival who cannot first honestly and sincerely face this fundamental condition. What is the fundamental condition? That he has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has submitted himself as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and is walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Why is that the case? Romans chapter 6 verse 16 and 17 tells us, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who, are, you who were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So then the very first act of obedience of any being of God, of any being to God must consist in repentance and breaking with every known sin. And we are going to come to that. But what you see here, as, as Nehemiah caused these people to come and to rebuild the temple, what you are going to see in chapter 3, everyone had to take that responsibility upon their, themselves. Household to household. Individuals upon individuals. They had to do that. They had to rebuild the walls in their lives. They had to rebuild the walls in front of them because they knew that they were the ones who were vulnerable. They knew that if they would not rebuild the walls, then they were the ones who were going to face the attacks. Now, if we speak of revival, if we speak of committing ourselves to the Lord as the church of Jesus Christ in this hour, if we are speaking of ourselves as the church of Jesus Christ, that we desire to see a move of God among us, if we desire to see a move of God in our lives, even this time that we are facing right now, this time of lockdown, it is in many ways, it, you, you can look at this as, as, as a time when God would, would want to have that personal relationship, personal communion with you and your household, with you by yourself. Because we've played, we've played a clown for many days. We, we've entertained and we've, we've been so obsessed into entertainment. We've been so obsessed into the show. We've been so obsessed with, into this mindset of hypocrisy where we do everything to be seen by men. But when it comes to revival, brothers and sisters, revival demands that we submit ourselves fully to the Lord our God. It demands that we start the project of rebuilding our lives through the help and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We stand and we stand upon the word of God and we allow the Lord to work in us as he would have us to work. What does this then mean? 
It simply means this, brothers and sisters. Here's a personal application. And, and I love the way Charles Swindoll puts this picture into place as he speaks about this, as he comments concerning this aspect of rebuilding. He says that it, it, some, some of you are living within the walls of your life surrounded by ruin. And it all began very slowly. First, there was a loose piece of stone in a mortar. Then there was a crack that appeared in the wall. And then it broke in two pieces. And there was a hole. Because of further neglect, then the weeds of carnality began to grow through these walls. By, by and by, the enemy gained free access into your life. You may be known as a Christian, yes. You may be known as a woman of God. You may be known as a, a man of God. But, but you know in your heart that although you are a Christian in the same sense that Jerusalem belonged to the Jews uh, the walls around your spiritual life that protects and defends you is in shambles. Such things as selfishness, such things as lack of discipline, such things as procrastination, such things as immorality, not making time for God, such things as compromise, such things as rebellion, they have all come and they have sown their ugly seeds. And they have begun to bear poisonous fruits within your life. And your walls are lying in ruins. Do you fear God in the same way you feared him? The first time that you received the message of the gospel. Are you there and you're just going after the world and there's no sense of defense in your life? But as though as we may speak of the defense mechanisms when it comes to the scene around us and to the world around us, I want you to know this. There is one reality and one fact that stands between you and God if you are listening to this and you are not saved. One day you are going to stand before a holy God. And nothing that you think that is a sense of security, nothing that you think that can cover you, nothing that you think that can protect you in this hour or in the days to come is able to do that. It is imperative, therefore, for you to realize this. That there is only one fortress and there is only one banner, there is only one name, that name which we can run to and we find a safety. And the name is the name of Jesus. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous will run unto it and they find a safety in it. Jesus Christ has said this, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Therefore, if you desire great and sweet and secure protection that you need, if you need a sure protection in your life for your soul, for your eternal soul, that eternal protection is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ only. As such then, what then is expected of you? You ought then to cease to love the world and to flirt with the world. For the Bible says that evil, 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 evil communion, or in other words, bad, bad, bad company corrupts good manners. 
It means that you need to part with unconverted sweethearts and unbelieving business partners because you are commanded not to be equally yoked with together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness. It means that you ought to, to separate yourself from every known sin. And we come to the Lord our God. So listen to this invitation. Let us rise and build. Let's be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of His might. That even in this hour when everything seems like it's in shambles, but we know this one truth. Even when it comes to our lives, when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So therefore we stand, knowing that above all else, remember what the Bible says, if the Lord does not build the house, they labor in vain those who build it. So as much as we know that you are the one who is supposed to, 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 to work because God has called you to work, as much as we know that we are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we know that it's God who works in us and who causes us both to do and to will, as much as we are working, but we know this, that we are working only in the works which God has prepared for us before the foundations of the world. Therefore, the battle is not ours, but the battle is the Lord's. So take courage, Christian, for the Lord your God is on your side. Though enemies will rise, but the God of heaven will make us prosper. Look at verse 20. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but the opponents, those who oppose God's work, they have no portion or right to claim in what God is yet to do. May the Lord God help us and may Lord, the Lord God bless you. And let us pray that the Lord will be with us even in this day. Shall we bow our heads and we pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your mercy and for your grace upon us. God, our desire is that you will build our lives. I'm mindful of those who are listening and those who are hearing this. Those who feel as though their lives are in shambles. Those who feel as though the walls in their lives are not in check. Asking of you, Father, may you strengthen, may you rebuild our walls. Oh, for if the Lord does not build the house, they labor in vain those who build it. If the Lord does not watch over the city, they watch in vain those who watch over it. So we ask of you that you build us. You will edify us, you will encourage us through and by your word. It is for the glory and honor of Jesus for the good of his church, for the gladness of his bride, the church. We ask and we pray that you will lead us, you will guide us into the paths of righteousness in this day. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. May God's people say amen. Thank you very much. It's been a blessing to open God's word with you. Until later, we wish you a blessed day. And may the Lord God be with you. May the Lord rebuild your life. You are with me, your brother in Christ and your host. Gideon and Penny. Tune in again tomorrow, even as you can go and visit our podcast page, and you can visit also our YouTube channel, search us, uh, Florida Baptist Church YouTube channel, subscribe to that page, and you can be able as well to catch up on all the previous episodes. God bless you richly. Thank you very much. Bye.